electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After a rough day that started strong before turning weak, Dow only losing 250 points, S&P sinking 0.69%, and NASDAQ declining 0.64%. You know what everybody's talking about? They're talking about stagflation. Yep, stagflation. You hear it everywhere. And the drumbeat went into overdrive this weekend. It's the drum line, like it's all the 70s again. Stagflation. It's a combination of inflation with a stagnant economy. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Woo! Baby boomers like me fear the 70s the same way our parents feared the Great Depression. That's why stagflation is well, it's just as, as ominous as it gets. Call me a cockeyed optimist, but I don't buy the stagflation thesis. Now, don't get me wrong. We've been living with inflation for a bit now. I know that. I'm not making that up. I'm not, I'm not going to try to sweep it under the rug. We just got a very negative read from an authoritative source, Kraft Heinz. In a depressing interview with BBC, uh, the CEO of Kraft Heinz, uh, Miguel Patricio, explained that he's raising prices all over the world. Why? Because of the inputs he has. Corn, sugar, palm oil, they, uh, soybeans, coffee. They've all been rising in costs. So the whole industry needs to pass these price increases on to you. Or as the headline says, people must get used to higher food prices. Well, that's, that's bad. Okay, what about the stagnation side of the equation? That didn't seem to be a problem until Friday when we got that very weak jobs number. The stagflation story seems so obvious at this point that we got two separate, not one, but two separate strategy pieces about how to handle it this weekend. One from Barclays and one from Goldman Sachs. The Goldman piece is particularly sobering. They point out that historically stagflation is bad news for everything but healthcare and energy stocks. Oh, those are groups. That's a pretty flimsy read to hang your hat on here. Plus, it doesn't help that oil prices keep marching relentlessly higher. Another reminder of the 70s. The White House wants the oil companies to get busy producing, uh, but they're making 
too much money by being disciplined and letting prices run. It's not like the White House, you know, Biden can't call Pioneer and say, hey, listen, Mr. Sheffield, I want you to put more oil in the, into the gas tank. I mean, come on. Put all together and you got an inflationary nightmare that just has to end badly, right? Not so fast. In my experience, when everyone thinks that something's going wrong, something's going bad, you have to be careful not to buy into the group thing. Right now, I don't notice a soul who believes we can get out of this moment without much, much, much lower stock prices. Not low, much lower. So permit me to take the other side of the trade. See, there is a big, big difference between now and the stagflation in the 70s. I'm talking about the pandemic. Remember COVID? We want to pretend it's over, but we haven't really transitioned out of the COVID economy in this country at all. The United States is way behind Europe when it comes to immunization, and we still got plenty of organized groups pushing the right to stay unvaccinated. What a hill to die on. But crucially, many of our current problems are indeed COVID-related. Because we aren't yet through the pandemic, we, we, we still have tons of absentee workers. There just aren't enough people to get the job done, not because we don't have anyone hiring. That's the stag part of stagflation. But because people are scared to death of getting sick. They don't want to get long COVID instead of short flu COVID or worse, die. I think there's a huge disconnect between how Wall Street sees the pandemic and how the rest of the country sees it. When 700,000 people die before their time, when we're getting contrary messages from the nation's healthcare apparatus constantly, millions of people just want to crawl under a rock and hide. They don't want to work. The government misjudged the Delta variant at first, letting it explode all over the country. Then it did a complete 180 and went all in on scaring the heck out of us so that a lot of people said, uh-uh, I'm not driving that school bus. I'm not going back to that counter. In response, older people with flush 401ks are leaving the workforce because why would you take the risk that if you if you don't have to work? Younger people feel less pressure to find jobs because there's a moratorium on student loan repayments. But businesses are desperate to hire people. They've got a voracious demand for labor. That's nothing like the stagflation of the 70s. I'd argue that our current bout of stagnation will be short lasting. Once we get COVID under control, like they've done in Europe, it's not that hard. They've done it. We should be fine. Sooner or later, that will happen. But it has not happened yet, so let's stop pretending. How about the inflation side of the equation? All right, this one's tougher. Heinz is right. We're all going to have to pay more for pretty much everything until the harvests are bigger. We get the supply chain nightmare worked out. And more chemical plants come back online than went offline because of Hurricane Ida. I know people complain that there are no rollbacks in pricing. But you know what? That's not true. In the past, the biggest retailers, the ones with scale like Walmart and Costco, can come in underneath their competitors, especially the brand guys, once the raw costs come down. And believe me, the raw costs will eventually come down and you'll be switching to their product. It won't come back to where it was, but it doesn't have to. We can get used to paying more for some things. What matters is that eventually all this noise about supply chains will indeed go away. The trucking companies will realize they need to pay truckers more. Hey, listen, it's a trucking job. That's that's a big job. Pay them more. The longshoremen will indeed have to work 24-7, even though they said that he can't work 24-7 because it doesn't help anything. That's wrong once we've got more truckers. Now let's go back to the stock market because that's what matters for this show. The last time we had real stagflation, we didn't have automatic investments in stocks like we do now. I just contributed uh, money to a stock mutual fund for my retirement account. I did it today. They told me I had to do it. It's automated. It creates a very, very different environment when it's automated. Sure, the professionals analyze everything through the binary prism of buying and selling. But the home gamers, especially the younger ones, they're not thinking, ooh, wow, stagflation, better head for the hills. Instead, they're like looking it up and Googling it. Instead, in this environment, they're thinking, it's easy to get a job. Interest rates are low. I can buy a house. I got the money. Okay, cars are harder to find, but only because they're not making a lot of them, not because I can't afford one. 
Uh, why is it harder? Again, it's the chip shortage. Like with so many other products, I think the chip shortage will only be conquered by this incredible thing we call capitalism. Someone will put up factories in conjunction with the automakers and solve the problem. It's just going to take time, possibly a long time. More on that later. In the end, time is what this moment's all about. We need time to beat COVID, time to plant more acres, time to get more chemical plants online, time to build semiconductor foundries, time for people to realize that they're running out of money and need to go back to work. While we wait, it'll be very easy for money managers to turn bearish. But the people whose money they run, they do not share that pessimism. They know that investing in stocks has been sensational. So while we wait for the world to go back to normal, don't let the stagflationistas scare you away from the stock market. Oh, they love to invoke the specter of the 70s to scare people away from stocks. But I think that's bogus. They can get the stock market lower, but that's an opportunity. We don't have we don't really have a stagnant economy. And to the extent it's slowing, I'm betting that will be pretty temporary. As for inflation, it's real. But we just need to buckle up and stop trading off every little tick of oil or every dime of ketchup. Maybe you have to drive a little out of your way to get to a Costco. Maybe you have to return to the workforce and mass transit once we beat COVID. It's not the end of the world, people. Bottom line, I say give it time and do not panic. It might surprise you how quickly things get better right when most money managers think that all is lost. Brian in my home state of New Jersey. Brian. Hey, Jim, how's everything? I have a question about Wendy's. Um, you know, it bounced back pretty quick to its pre-COVID levels, but, you know, for the past 18 months, we've been trading between 20 and 24, with the exception of a brief spike in June. I just wanted to see where you see the stock heading and if I should pick some up before. Or maybe I continue to be a huge believer in Todd Penagor. He's doing an amazing job. I think that Wendy's got hit by this kind of meme thing that took it all the way up, got a lot of bad money in. It's come back down at twenty two dollars. I think it is a very good situation. Nelson Peltz, chairman. I like these guys. I say bye, bye, bye. Is that uh, Julie in Missouri? Julie. Hi, Jim. Hi, Julie. I've been a long I've been a longtime watcher of Mad Money. Oh, thank you. And I've just recently enrolled in your investing club. So I appreciate all the education that you send our way. Thank you. That's the goal. Educate. I I took a position in Airbnb about a year ago during the uh, COVID lockdown, thinking that would be a good, you know, a good buy for COVID times. But I haven't been happy with the results. What's your opinion? I think you got to let this one play out. I think Brian Chesky's one smart guy. Airbnb is a, a category they've they innovated, they've made. It's gotten better and better with each iteration. Let's hold on to Airbnb. I think they're going to accomplish great things. And thank you for the kind words about the investment club. Let's go to Brian, our second Brian in California. Brian. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Hey, um, I've been watching... FedEx for the better part of a year now, and it has come way down, and it's bouncing around its uh, 52-week low. Uh, P.E. ratio is about 12 and a half, and uh, Christmas is coming. So wanted to get your thoughts uh, on what you thought this uh, this trade should be. If or Well, I'm going to be candid. I happen to like them very much, but that last conference call was uh, suboptimal. Uh, they took a they really, frankly, made me feel like you can't own this until you see the next quarter. Uh, my, the Travel Trust owns UPS. We've been putting out a lot of really good bulletins as part of the investing club. I like UPS more because it's got the yield. So just check with your bulletins and you'll see how I mean. All right, listen, I don't want you to panic. 
The stagflationistas, now they want you to panic. May surprise you how quickly things can turn around with technology and time. On Man Tonight, Emerson Electric announced earlier that it would merge its software units with Aspen Technology, $11 billion deal. I'm breaking down all the details with the CEO from a great American company. Then we're heading to the farm to check in on a frog and a dog. I'm talking, taking a closer look at J-Frog, which sounds like a character out of, you know, one of these reality shows. And Data Dog, which sounds like something that comes on Saturday morning. And we're going to see where uh, they stand. And Plug Power got caught up in the meme mania earlier this year. A lot of people lost money. But now the stock has come back to earth. What's next? Big analyst meeting coming up. I'm talking to the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This morning, we learned that Emerson Electric, the big diversified industrial conglomerate and long a favorite of mine, is making a major move. The company is merging two of its industrial software businesses with a little company called Aspen Technology, an asset optimization software play, to create a new company that will dominate the whole space. In addition, Emerson's kicking in $6 billion in cash. In exchange, they get a 55% stake in the combined entity, which can now go and buy other companies. Oh, I think this could be a smart way for Emerson to unlock value. They don't get enough credit for their software exposure. 
Do not take it from me. Earlier today, we checked in with the new CEO of Emerson, Law Carsonby. He is the president and CEO of, of, of Emerson Electric after many years of, uh, of David Farr, whom we had on the show before this. And I wanted to learn about not just the deal, but his vision for the company. Take a look. Well, you announced an incredibly exciting transaction today that I think is going to accelerate growth in all the areas that our people want. Why don't you just tell us what you're doing? Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. and Great to see you. Thank you very much. What a great opportunity for Emerson shareholders and for Aspen Tech shareholders to really transform and scale what is a, in, in a high-growth industrial software space. Over a $60 billion opportunity, uh, high growth, and with lots of opportunity to do more M&A and, and to grow organically as well. So we're very excited about that proposition. Synergies on both sides of the table. And, uh, and uh, a, a very important day for us as now, a, as Initially, when I heard it, I, I, it seemed complex to me, but it really is not. You're giving <laughs> some money. You've got this unbelievable partner that's been growing fantastically, and then you'll have this new vehicle. It is phenomenal. Yeah, I think you, you said it right, Jim. $6 billion in cash, $2.5 billion in contributed assets, and then Emerson shareholders ha- get to, con- to, to uh, take advantage of the ownership structure, 55%, because right. obviously there's a control premium in there. They, they take advantage of the synergies at Aspen Tech, 55% of those, and 100% of the synergies created at Emerson. So that's $110 billion, excuse me, million of EBITDA synergies at Aspen Tech, $45 million at Emerson, and then the, the public currency vehicle to do more software oh. deals at that multiple gym for us is very, very exciting. Now, when sometimes you hear these companies, I like to think I know a lot of companies well, but I go to, to Jim Fiddling, associate, yeah. the CEO of Dow, yeah. and I said, well, how about these guys? He said they helped optimize manufacturing processes, achieve low-cost operations, save $700 million. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what kind of company can save $700 Absolutely. million for another company? Absolutely. So this is, this is essentially end-to-end software. You start with the design and engineering into the production and operations element, and then into the asset optimization piece. That is an incredible amount of value creation. So you design in a very optimal way, you optimize as you're running the place, that's a tremendous amount of value that they create, and into the energy future as well. All right, so let's be devil's advocate. Yep. I am the love Emerson. I've loved Emerson for an incredibly long time. Your predecessor. You yeah, it's true, Mr. Farr. <laughs> but I had dinner with him right before we left. I said, you have built a remarkable company. I've known it for years. You're Mr. Knight. I cannot believe how, what a gem. But are you going to break it up? That's a great question. Uh, look, the name of the game is value creation. Yes, indeed. And, and for us as a management team and board, what's important is thinking about that over time. And we have a unique opportunity. It's culture, it's the portfolio, and it's the phenomenal execution. Okay. David left me a phenomenal company. Oh, but now it's an opportunity to take it forward and to think about how we can elevate the underlying growth of the company, and the portfolio is a great way to do that. Now, I, I can't resist because we're really focused on hydrogen. You have a deal, a, a hydrogen company, which tells me hydrogen, you don't do anything if it's not commercial. Correct. Tell me if hydrogen in our lifetime is going to be commercial. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really? The, the challenge is going to be the, the degrees of scale that we need along the value chain. That's going to be the challenge. It's, it's very simple to, to do it in production. Mm-hmm. But how do we get it to where it actually meets an energy need? And there's a whole infrastructure that needs to be built out there for, it, for, the, for that to exist. We have the technology to do it. 
But the investment dollars, whether they come from the public market or the private space, we'll wait and see. Well, but we, we're ready, Jim. We're, we're poised. Okay, well, the reason I think <laughs> is that I see the hydrogen companies, candidly, if you hadn't done this deal with Aspen, I wouldn't yeah. suggest it. Yeah. I, the hydrogen companies are exploded. I mean, everyone's yes. excited about them. Yeah. Uh, there are pieces, if you go to your website, yeah. there are pieces of Emerson that I want, okay? okay. I want that piece, and I want okay. to have it associated with another company and a vehicle. And yeah. therefore, I've got this uh, the unlocking of value without the... The breakup of the company, That's which right. I don't want. Right. And I think there's a lot of potential there. We've just elevated our software, the value of our software assets that lived within the Emerson multiple. Now in, going into the Aspen Tech multiple, which is essentially almost double ours. Right. So that's a, a, a huge value unlock to begin with. But within the automation portfolio and the commercial residential portfolio, there are tremendous renewable uh, technologies that will be very meaningful going forward, So there forward, could Jim. be things that I thought it was mostly going to focus on the automation. You, you could be looking at things for residential. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have an incredible climate business that is essential uh, to, for carrier, for train, and for many others in delivering a, 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 greener, a greener planet. I can't resist. Business is pretty good. Things are better. I think we reaffirmed guidance today. You right. saw that, Jim. We feel the team worked incredibly hard this quarter to deliver what we thought. But you know the operating environment's challenging. You've talked about it very, well, I, very, I very clearly, but we're working through it. Uh, easy to get workers? Impossible? They're missing? What's going uh, on? Yes, yes, and yes. Jeez, uh, Jim, uh, they you're, are. You're in St. Louis. <laughs> you're grounded. The middle I'm of in the New York. Yeah, I don't know what it the is. middle of the country. Uh, high turnover. Right. Uh, so we look at we look at wage rate inflation. We're looking at automation, more automation in the plants, and absenteeism. People are tired, Jim across the entire whether you, you talked about ships the other day they're and tired. truckers people are tired and and well, we're, you we're and struggling. i are tired no you sir no, this, deal. No, you were sorry, tired. Tired. this is a fabulous deal sir Thanks, okay long car supply is the president ceo of emerson electric a company i have revered for 40 years thank you yeah, so much sir. You, sir good, good to meet to you. you coming up a frog and a dog walk into a bar the punchline some good old-fashioned stock research next you seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. we got this call from Jay. It was in Tennessee, okay? About a fast-growing software company. It was named JFrog. I promised to circle back because we hadn't been following this one lately. For those of you who don't remember, JFrog is an enterprise software. In other words, not something you and I would use, but enterprise company company that came public as part of a huge wave of deals roughly 13 months ago, Deluge. At the time, I told you I liked the business, but the stock was way, way too expensive. Given that it was trading at 40 times sales, just an insane valuation. 40 times earnings, I don't like it. JFrog had closed just under 65 on his first day of trading, and that was too rich for me. 
while the stock quickly shot up then to 95.20 in late October of last year, it quickly gave back those gains. Now, a little more than a year later, it's trading at $32 and change. So you've literally been cutting half if you try to buy it right for the IPO. So because this is the most interactive show on television, tonight we're going to check back in on JFrog and also throw in another animal name software stock. And this one's going to be Datadog. Now, that one's a Kramer fave name that's been a huge winner since it came public two years ago. Two for the price of one. The frog versus the dog. Sounds like something out of Aesop's fables. First, though, let's catch up with JFrog. These guys have a software platform for what's known as DevOps. That's short for Development and Operations. Historically, companies with software tend to have a special, specialist departments. So one group of people handles development, actually making software. And another group handles operations, making sure the trains run on time. But it's much more efficient to have these groups collaborate, which is what JFrog's platform is all about. These guys are very good at what they do, and that's why they count 78% of the Fortune 100 as customers. That's pretty impressive. Again, JFrog's always been a good company, but when it comes public, came public, the stock shot into the stratosphere, so I couldn't justify buying it, even for speculation. There are very few companies that deserve to trade at 40 times sales. Remember, um, again, we like times earnings. Times sales is dicey. Now, since the IPO, JFrog has reported four quarters as a publicly traded enterprise. And while the results have been consistently pretty good, I wouldn't call them great. More importantly, they've gotten less and less impressive with each passing quarter. In May, JFrog reported a small top and bottom line beat, but they left their full year forecast unchanged and their guidance for the next quarter was merely in line. Nothing to write home about there. In response, the stock lost 15 percent of its value in a single session, although it made up some of those losses within weeks as Wall Street turned positive on the turbocharged growth cohort over the summer. Fast forward to late June. JFrog tells us that they're acquiring a little software company called Vidu for $300 million. But more importantly, they also effectively pre-announced the results for the second quarter, reiterating the previous guidance. On top of that, they mentioned that the Vidu deal would shave $9 to $10 million off their full-year operating earnings. Wall Street was less than thrilled. The stock fell from 50 to 45 Then roughly two months ago, JFrog released its full second quarter results. And while their numbers came in at the high end of management's forecast, the guidance, it was disappointing. They started predicting a full-year earnings loss. Maybe this shouldn't have been a surprise, uh, given the update in June. They told you they were going to take a hit. But I guess the analysts didn't listen because these numbers caught them with their pants down. I think they just thought they were just trying to lowball the darn thing. Of course, there were some bright spots here, too. JFrog raised their full-year sales forecast, and this is really a sales growth story. Yet nobody seemed to care. The stock tumbled from 46 to 40, and within weeks it was stuck in the low 30s, where it stayed ever since. Now, one thing that's worth noting, I said JFrog is a sales growth story. But when you look at the trajectory, it's more of a decelerating sales growth story. In the first quarter of last year, they were growing at a 55% clip. That's sold at 39% by the fourth quarter, and then... uh, and then under 34% in the most recent quarter, going the wrong way there, friends. Well, JFrog's a very fast grower. It's no longer an insanely fast grower. Right after we got those results, Morgan Stanley slashed the price target on this one from, th- from 63 down to 40. Among other things, they point out that JFrog's trying to expand into different segments of DevOps software. But this is a crowded market, and they're up against some real competition, including 
Oh, man, everybody seems to be up against Microsoft. How about the valuation here? At these levels, the stock's now trading at 12 times next year's sales estimates. Okay, in the past, that would have been very expensive. But these days, the hottest software names can trade at 20 to even 50 times sales. The thing is, JFrog is not one of the hottest software names out there. And this is a tough environment for the fast-growing software cohort. Remember, this group does poorly when inflation and interest rates are on the rise. JFrog reports again in early November. I... Can we just wait and see? Now, if you want to be a hero and bet on a cloud stock right now, I think you should find something better than that one. <laughs> Forget the frog. You know who we want? We want the dog. Data dog. This is a software as a service company that handles cloud infrastructure monitoring and security with a side of analytics. Unlike JFrog, this stock has been on a roll. I got to tell you, when you get off the people wanted to buy this, there's a lot of companies that were trying to buy this company and it came public and it just got ahead of them. Datadog came public just over two years ago. IPO price 27, stock jumped to 37, changed right out the gate. Since then, it's continued to roar, rounding to just under 142 today. What sets this one apart from something like JFrog? For starters, Datadog is a pure cloud play, while JFrog still has a lot of old-fashioned on-premise software businesses. Second, its growth has been a lot more durable. In 2019, Datadog was growing in an 83% clip. In the most recent quarter, that only slowed to 67%, which is still pretty incredible. Meanwhile, the company reported a series of meaningful upside surprises of late. Datadog gave us some disappointing guidance at the beginning of the year, but that's the right time to lower the bar. Since then, they've consistently beaten the numbers. Classic UPod, under promise and over deliver. Valuation? All right. Well, after the stock's remarkable run, the thing's trading at roughly 31 times next year's sales, which is extremely expensive. Has it gotten too pricey? Let me put it this way. Datadog's given us a huge win, but in a market like this one that's not super friendly to tech, I think you need to be careful. If you don't own Datadog already, I recommend waiting for a pullback. That way you can buy it gradually on the way down. Do not chase this one. Here's the bottom line. When the environment turns against tech, you need to be selective when it comes to picking fast-growing software stocks. I'd much rather own a Datadog than a Jay the Frog. Uh, But even then, you've got to be patient and wait for the right moment before you pull the trigger. We like the dog. We know like Froggy Master. Froggy Master. No? All right, let's let's go to Mike in Kentucky, please, Mike. Hey, Jim. Thanks for all you do. Long, long time, first time. Based on a long history of successful spinoff investing, Conoco, Raytheon, XBO, our group has been scaling into Dell prior to the VMware spinoff. What's your prognosis of the two companies post-spin, and do you have any plans to revisit training as home gamers on spinoff investing? Um, Well, look, I I just want to own Dell. I feel awful that my travel trust did not pull the trigger. We had it. We had it in the bullpen. I don't know. Sometimes it happens. You follow. Look, I like to play with an open hand. We missed this one. I did a whole lecture about it, and it just still gets me mad. But own Dell. Let's go to Michael in New York. Michael. Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. On behalf of all investors out there and myself, thank you for making us money. Well, I'm doing my best. I want everyone to learn. That's the goal. How can I help? All right. Uh, The stock I'm calling about is taking on competitors like Square and PayPal. 
with two new point-of-sale devices, giving small businesses the ability to sell, track, and manage sales in more places than any other comparable platform. And the stock I'm talking about is GoDaddy. Too crowded a space. Uh, a lot of first mover advantages there. People love Square. Financial technology stocks coming down. We're going to say no to the GoDaddy. We like the data dog, not the GoDare daddy. All right. I'd rather own a data dog than a JFrog. But please be patient before you pull the trigger. Much more made money, including my exclusive plug power. I know you like that one. With the big plug symposium event scheduled for this Thursday, could this be the next catalyst to electrifying what was once a very electrical stock? I've got the CEO. Then Wall Street is skittish that the semiconductor capital equipment companies could be setting up for a boom-bust situation. So I'm putting on my teaching hat and breaking down the difference between cyclical and secular growth. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. For decades, we've been hearing about the possibility of hydrogen fuel cells. That's that cleaner, greener way to propel cars and trucks, but maybe much more. Until recently, though, hydrogen, well, let's say it felt like a pipe dream. Uh, That changed over the past year and a half. Take plug power, which now makes hydrogen fuel cells for forklifts. After working on this technology for ages, it's finally started to bear fruit. When we talked to management in July of 2020, Plug Power was still a single-digit stock. It's now a 27 change after a brief detour to 75 this January, but that was really because it became a meme stock. I'm so angry that happened because a lot of people got hurt. However, for the last few months, the stock has been directionless. This is the kind of long-term speculative story that doesn't necessarily fit with the current market. However, Plug Power is holding a big event on Thursday where they could lay out the future of hydrogen. So let's take a closer look with Andy Moore. She's the president and CEO of Plug Power. Get a sense of the plug symposium ahead of time. Mr. Marsh, welcome back to Mad Money. Hello, Jim. Great to be here. All right. So, Andy, I'm demanding a little bit of a, uh, let's just say, sneak preview of what you're going to talk about at your big analyst meeting. So, Jim, you'll hear from all my general managers from, from all our divisions, but 23 people from around the world. You'll hear from Luca DeMaio, the CEO of Renault. You'll hear from Andrew Forrest who's developing, who's, who leads one of the largest mining companies in Australia, who's looking to turn Australia into an exporter of green hydrogen. Of course, you'll hear from SK, our new joint venture partner, and from our senator from New York, Chuck Schumer, will be uh, also speaking at the event. So uh, we're going, it's a worldwide event with uh, not only hearing from the plug folks, but folks from all around the world. And your listeners, if they go to Go to our webpage. They can register for the event. Well, I want them to do that. My ears perk up when you say Senator Schumer, of course, the state senator from where you're located. But there are there's a Senate bill and a House bill, and both of Mm -hmm. them get closer to the dream of making it so green hydrogen could be uh, less expensive. What do you think Senator Schumer can say about what can go right in Washington? Because you know that plug power would get a very substantial boost if they did something good about hydrogen in Washington. Well, I've sat side by side with Senator Schumer only a few weeks ago in in New York, where we're building the largest green hydrogen plant in the world. And he tells me green hydrogen fuel cells, that there will be very, very interesting tax breaks for our technology. And I know your listeners are saying there's lots of noise in Washington, but my experts tell me 
come December, it'll all come together. Climate will receive a high priority, and hydrogen, especially green hydrogen, will be highlighted in the bill. So I'm really excited, and I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to let the noise that's going on disturb uh, the direction we're heading. Okay, now I've always been familiar with the fact that Walmart's a good partner, Amazon good partner, Home Depot good partner. But I was very interested to see that GM has become a good partner. Now, GM, obviously, you know, I think long haul, not material handling is the future. What's GM's role with plug power? Well, we are working with them in the material handling sector, Jim. Uh, We're also working with Stellantis. And as you know, uh, in Europe, we're very, very close with Renault, where, you know, plug power is providing the fuel cell technology. Renault's the second largest electric vehicle provider in Europe for commercial vehicles, we're combining our capabilities. And the van, uh, the Renault Master Van, which both of us are unveiling on Thursday, so there's a scoop, Jim, that uh, will be both a plug power and a Renault van. No, that's very important because what that says to me, though, Andy, is that they're even getting further ahead of us in Europe. And we've got to reclaim this. I like this new Fresno, California, green hydrogen production facility. Is that on par with what they're doing in Europe? That is on par, Jim. And, you know, and look, uh, I am a real believer that America can lead in this activity. And the green hydrogen plant we're putting there is actually ahead of much that's going on in Europe. It'll be powered by solar power to generate green hydrogen over 30 tons a day using plug power electrolyzers. And one of the items I like is that the water we're using is wastewater. We're cleaning it up. And actually, the community of Mandota will be able to use that water also. So it's a win-win-win. All right, one last question. People always tell me, Jim, this thing's been around since 1999. Don't, get off the horse. But I always remember what you said about, about the telephone and about how cellular. And they were giant bricks. And people always thought they were silly. And then they hit critical mass. We're closing in on critical mass? We're closing in, Jim, and the green hydrogen highway plug is building with 500 tons by 2025. We'll start per day. We'll start getting us over the hump. And uh, I think uh, critical mass is now. We're real here today. Wow. I've got to tell you, that would be amazing because you know, we went from having those unfortunate, different, difficult accounting issues, which you confronted with me directly and told me, Bethan, to now looking at some EBITDA projection. You, you, I don't know what you're going to say for 2024 for EBITDA, but it sounds like that plug power doesn't need any money. Let's put it that way. You know, Jim, I think with the build out of our green hydrogen network, uh, we're going to be well, well positioned from a financial point of view. And one list I did need to know, um, what is going on with Amazon? We know that they want 100,000 Rivians. I've met with this director of sustainability last week for Amazon. Amazon is the leader right now in driving everything in our country. What else can you do? What else can Plug Power do with Amazon? Well, I can tell you we're looking at large-scale stationary power products using fuel cells. Uh, We're engaged in ground support equipment for their rollout of airports. 
Uh, we're looking at drone activities. So there's a lot going on with Amazon, Jim. Well, I sure hope we hear about them, too. As, as, well, a- as well as on-road vehicles. I should not forget what we're doing, you know, what we're positioning with Renault. Oh, that's good. That's what I want, because I think that, that you know that's the future. On-road is too inexpensive. You've got to make it work. We are looking forward to Thursday's meeting. We appreciate the heads up about what you're going to talk about. I get a sense that this is plug power getting back the way it was before people just churned it and flopped and chopped it. No, no maybe we get away from that. Andy Marsh, President and CEO of Plug Power. Great to have you on the show, sir. Thank you, Jim. Always a pleasure. Excellent. Now, money's back after the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead. Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Mike in Arizona. Mike. Hi, Jim. How are you today? I am doing well. How about you? Good. It's uh, less than 150 degrees out here in Scottsdale, so things are pretty nice now. Well, there you go. That pretty much explains everything. What's going on? <laughs> what do you think of uh, the lithium uh, stocks, DCRN and Solid Power? Oh, you know, look, Spock, someone wrote me today and said, listen, I've got three SPACs. I want to talk about it. And I just said, I'm not going to hurt anybody. I'm just not going to hurt anybody. I. Life's too short. I don't like these. I mean, it's time for them to stop. Uh, now, the Ford is involved with one that we had last week. I like that. But I'm not going to just sit here and recommend this back city. I mean, it, it's just hurt too many people. And people should stop filing them. Let's go to Susan in Connecticut. Please, Susan. Hi, Jim. It's Sue, and I'm actually in Watch Hill, Rhode Island. This would be a great um, place for you to bring your wife for a vacation for a weekend. Well, we had a great um, time up Maryland recently. What's going on? Okay, I have a comment and a stock pick. One, I know you say we should have a small percentage of our portfolio in riskier stocks. Yes. I think that you need to have a five-minute high-flyer segment on your show every day to give one high-flyer stock. Wow. My stock for today is Macy's. Well, I like Macy's very much, but it's not a high-flyer. It's just that Jeff Finnett's is doing a very, very good job. Uh, he's doing an actually phenomenal job, but if we get uh, anywhere near the immunization we should have, he's that stock is going to thirty. Uh, I, I just feel like that that's uh, you know it's had a nice move, but it's not over. How about we go to Rich in New Jersey? Rich, I do, Jim. What's well, going I'm on? First time caller. All right. Um, I'm interested to a Noodle Company. No, I mean, like, look, I know it's been around. Maybe it's making a comeback, but it's been two steps forward, two steps back. I'm not going to, I'm not going there. Let's go to Daniel in New York. Daniel. Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks. My question is regarding the stock Chewy, ticker CHWY. It is falling out of favor, Chewy. It has fallen out of favor as people realize that, you know what, Amazon's just not going to let them do anymore. I happen to think they offer specialized treatment, and it's good stock. I'm not going to back away from Chewy. Let's go to a Mike in New York. Mike. Booyah, Jimmy Kill. Booyah. With that lead of the way in EVs and big auto companies like Ford and GM turning to EVs, we're going to need a lot more charging stations on the road. So yes, I'm looking at a company called ChargePoint Holdings. 
ticket symbol, CHPT. No, I know it. Um, It's complete. It's out of favor. We did a piece recently about how we had to be very careful. Again, the SPACs, the EVs, these are uh, pe- these are companies that have hurt too many people. Um, it, you can own it strictly as 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 strictly as a speculation. Nothing else. Natalie in Virginia. Natalie. Jim. Good evening, Jim. Good evening. First, I wanted to say thank you for all your investment wisdom over the years. I'm a long time fan. Oh, thank you. Just I've been at it now for a while. Huh? Let's, but thank you. And thank you to all the nice people that you came up to me. I was in Midtown and uh, asked for pictures and stuff because you were really nice, and I thank you. So go ahead. Just joined your investment club. Oh, I'm also an AA Plus member. Okay. Jim, my question is, Given the government's massive infrastructure investments, should I invest in companies that will supply equipment and materials, i.e. tractors and cranes? I am specifically interested in Caterpillar, and I read on Action Alerts Plus Friday, I believe it was, J.P. Morgan is bullish on Caterpillar. Well, I mean, for my for the investment club, we're not, we're not interested in Caterpillar here. We own Nucor. And I think Nucor is a better way to be able to, uh, if you want to invest in infrastructure, it's going to be Nucor. That's the one you want to be in. I like Caterpillar. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, it's time this chip shortage stops being something to fear. Let Kramer help you make it just another data point in your quest to tame the market. Next. You are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. Okay, we keep hearing about this semiconductor shortage, right? About how so many industries are hobbled by the semi uh, business. It, it, so, I got an idea. Why don't, why don't we figure out how to profit from it? Well, Wall Street's terrified that the industry that could solve the chip shortage, which is called the semiconductor capital equipment industry, is about to sow the seeds of its own destruction. Historically, this is a boom and bust business. Right now, the concern is that it's about to go bust. I, on the other hand, look, I, I think it's crazy. The chip shortage is long term, which means the demand for semiconductor capital equipment will be long term. When there's so many CEOs telling me off the record that they can't get enough chips for their devices, that tells me this industry is as far from a bust as it gets. But first, let's address the big worry. The semiconductor capital equipment stocks are considered cyclicals, and that means you know, they have a business cycle. Because typically, when there's endless demand and tons of price hikes, they end up making too much product to try to cash in on that demand, and then demand collapses and the profits vanish. When you're dealing with cyclicals, you can't afford to overstay your welcome. Right now, we're seeing this kind of setup in oil. Once it goes high enough, believe me, our producers will indeed pump like crazy, and the price will come right back down. It hasn't happened yet. But I don't think that kind of logic at all applies here to the semiconductor capital equipment plays. They're a lot less cyclical than they used to be. Right now, the semiconductor plays can't produce enough chips to meet all the demand. Wall Street assumes it's only a matter of time before that changes, and they flood the market with silicon. I could not believe it. I, I, they could not be more wrong. 
I simply no longer believe that's possible. The demand for chips, all sorts of chips and all sorts of industries, and the long-term nature of the shortage tells me that you should absolutely buy one of the big four capital equipment names. And here I'm talking about ASML Holdings, KLA, Applied Materials, or AMAT, and LAM Research. We don't earn any from my travel trust because I got... I got bamboozled by all this talk of cyclicality and took the gain in Lambert Search, the small gain, not the big one. But I'm beginning to think that the demand is so strong, these companies should have full order books for years and years, and the stocks are no longer expensive. Now, we won't have to wait long to see if I'm right. On Thursday, and that's why I want to do the piece today, Taiwan Semi reports they're the largest chip manufacturer in the world, so they buy tons of machines from the capital equipment makers. If Taiwan Semi talks about how they need more machinery, I'm betting Wall Street will be skeptical. They'll assume the end of the semiconductor shortage must be near because chip makers are expanding their capacity. But if Taiwan Semi simply says, we will need more, more machines to meet multi-year demand, then I'm going to be right. My thesis will hold water. Plus, we know that Taiwan Semi's rival, Global Foundry, is about to go public, which means it will soon have even more money to buy the equipment I'm talking about. If I'm right, and this wildly cyclical industry has become a lot more secular, meaning steady and long-term, what's the best one to buy? Well, ASML, a Dutch company, is intriguing because they've basically got a monopoly on their corner of the business, although the White House has been blocked them from selling to China. Applied Materials, you've seen them one. We've had them one before. has been putting up just great numbers. But its stock has been flatlining lately. KLA is a big mystery because it doesn't like that never talks, which brings me to LAM Research, LRCX. The Charitable Trust, as I mentioned, had a big position in LAM a few years back, which we cashed out for the fantastic gain. We sold it because I was worried the semiconductor makers were double ordering as the supply of machines was so limited. We were right temporarily, but then the business came right back. That strength has never really ebbed, even as Lamb's stock has gotten fatigued. I think that's the one to buy here. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. The biggest chip maker in the world is about to report. If Taiwan Semi talks about molding your growth, then I think you can buy Lamb Research as not just a trade, but a powerful, long-term American industrial investment. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.